LMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding. The street is full of corruption. It is baked in to every aspect of our society. 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This is written over 100 years ago. All right, everybody, it is Steve, the Rogue Scholar, and we're going to take a trip into some analyzing, some some ways of assessing the world around us and being able to think through problems. Because what I'm seeing, and I want you all to think about this really clearly, people knew after Bernie Part 1 that the Democratic primaries were a joke, that they were a farce. They knew it. It wasn't because Bernie was necessarily a sellout or a sheepdog. It's because literally the Democratic Party has rules as a private corporation uh, to do exactly what it wants to do and how it wants to do it. And I think people genuinely believe there's an election. So an election will produce a, a winner. That winner is the one that will then be the representative and so, voila, everything will be okay. But after part one, everyone was given a flash of the inner operations of the DNC. I mean, thanks to Julian Assange and the email dumps, you got to see a lot of the back talk within the Democratic Party. You also got to understand that many of the things that we all thought were real, that we emotionally felt true, simply weren't true. They weren't real. They weren't things that we could do. They weren't actionable. And so, you know, that was part one. But many of us got on board for part two when he ran and Biden got the nomination. Now, why does this matter? Well, we knew that the primaries were rigged in part one. We allowed people that didn't retain that information to convince us that it was real part two. And so many of us flushed the things we knew that we had learned, that we had gleaned. And we flushed that because we were still hopeful. We were living on hopium that Bernie was going to get it part two. And needless to say, it turned out exactly the same way it turned out in part one. Only this time, it didn't go to the convention. This time, he ended up quitting way, 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 way in advance of the end. And there are still people right now that after part one said, Dem exit. And then after part two, they said, Dem exit. But now they are ready to do another Democratic primary with Marianne Williamson and RFK Jr. Now, this is in this in the face of facts that are documented that they know. This isn't like the I'm not out here shaming. I'm saying you've got the facts. You you've already worked through this, right? You've already seen it now there's an emotional outburst that starts with we all felt it when we felt like we got robbed or we felt like what we thought should happen didn't happen and you got the standard scolding from the vote blue sycophant that well you know grown-ups understand that you didn't get your way oh well grow up peter pan kind of thing but but that wasn't the truth though because if if it would have been held in such a way where we were able to simply get what we wanted by voting, we would have gotten it because we were beating them in all the early primaries. We were beating them in those different places like the caucuses. We were beating them in all these places. So something didn't measure up. Something didn't make sense. And why in the world, out of the blue, would the Democratic Party suddenly field like 20 candidates? What you think about what I'm saying, okay? So this isn't this talk, by the way, isn't really about Bernie Sanders or the election. It's really about how we process information, okay? You knew, you fundamentally knew that you were not able to vote Bernie in to become the nominee of the Democratic Party. 
But somehow or another, there was something inside you that said, that can't be right. Of course we can vote Bernie in to be the Democratic nominee. Now, there was a million things stacked against us. Number one, Bernie was always going to fold if the party told him to fold. He wasn't going to press forward if the party, because the first time he stayed to the end, he got chastised by the Clintonites and the rest of them for doing what she did to Obama. Never mind that. But we knew Bernie was going to capitulate early if he wasn't going to be allowed a seat at the table. And that's the point. It's got nothing to do with winning the election. It's got everything to do with the way that the Democratic Party operates as a private corporation that puts forward whatever it's going to do. So anyway, I say that to show you that it's not logic that prevails. It's not information that prevails. It's not anything like that. People are religious. They're religious people, right? They don't even realize they're religious. They're religious because they want to believe. And they allow people to invest huge amounts of money supporting a candidate that they know won't win, can't win. Or better yet, they support a candidate that they think is better than, well, he's better than Biden. That's great. I can think of a million people better than Biden. I think the guy across the street that's a Republican is better than Biden. So what? Unless the Democratic Party allows you to get them onto the ballot, they don't stand a chance. And you could say, well, they should run third party. And I say, well, that's fine. I hear you. And that's the emotional response. But the reality is, is that the Democrats and Republicans together, the duopoly, hold the keys to the debate stage because it's no longer held by the League of Women Voters. It's now by the duopoly. They control who gets there. And they've got a stranglehold with the media as well. So ultimately, you know, fundamentally know that this is a fool's errand. You know it is. Like, this isn't me making it up. You already know it. And yet you'll allow yourself to get jazzed up and juiced up to go through the do again, okay? Now, I'm all about educating. These, the one thing I see that's available for us through the primary system and the electoral process is the opportunity to educate fellow citizens about other things that they otherwise wouldn't pay attention to. But unfortunately, most people just get all into hero worship and they lose all sense of analytical Abilities, their capabilities are shot. Their capabilities to analyze situations are shot. And then they come to people that are aware, that are, are awake, that are smart, and they try and sell them the hopium of, oh, no, we got to support Marianne. Look at her. We got to support JFK. Look at him. Or RFK, right? But there are people out there with brains that already know that's bullshit. And so they say, yeah, you know what? If you were running independent, how would they get on the debate stage? If they were running independent, how could we guarantee they get on the ballots? You saw, well, I think you saw, state of Pennsylvania blocked Howie Hawkins, a perfectly legitimate third-party candidate, blocked him from being on the ballot. And many other states did the same thing. Guys like Matthew Ho didn't get on the ballot, got screwed again. Each of these things are about power. And it's about performative things as well. So you say, well, what about ranked choice voting? It's like, well, what about it? The Democratic Party has no responsibility to run that. The Republican Party has no responsibility to run that. In fact, it's in their best interest to not allow that. And they would be the ones that would have to vote for that. But if you're dem-exited and you're not caught up in party politics, how in the world are you going to impact their ability to implement ranked choice voting? Just, it's the logics of it all. I want you to walk through the process. So I'm going to show you something. This is not a perfect one-for-one, one, okay? This is not a perfect one-for-one. One. But I want to show you this because I think it's worth taking a gander. And it's just a simple step-by-step -step process flow. Okay, this right here 
to me, is really important stuff. Most people, eh, they won't even bother thinking about this stuff. But if you look at this, okay, you've got this whole problem identification. We, we have no access to uh, get the candidate that we want on the ballot. Situational assessment. Well, let's look at it. What is the situation? DNC is a private corporation. They have determined that um, they will control who and what and how. Then action planning. What actions are you going to do to deal with the situational assessment? Well, some people think that they're just going to go ahead and start voting harder. They're going to phone bank harder. They're going to door knock harder. But they fundamentally didn't understand the problem. They didn't have a good understanding of the situation. And yet they started implementing an action plan that served zero purpose because it wasn't doable. Now they go ahead and implement the plan. Now Marianne's running. Now RFK is running. There's the plan. They're going to gather data, but the data is going to be self-fulfilling because they didn't look at the situational assessment. They didn't really understand. Now they're going to analyze results, and those results are always going to tell people that everyone loves RFK. Everyone loves Marianne. No problem at all. But you've got no path to get them there. You get feedback. Everybody's excited. You wash, rinse, repeat, and then we go through the same cycle over and over again. Okay? Same cycle over and over again. Now, why, why is this matter? Why, why does this matter? Because you start asking yourself stupid questions. How is it the government always has money for war but never has money for education? How is it that the government always has money for Ukraine, but never has money for student debt cancellation? Hmm. How come when we spend money on Ukraine and we print money on Ukraine, it's not inflationary? But if we talk about giving you free student loan, get rid of your student loan. We talk about giving you free college. All of a sudden that's inflationary. Hmm. Each of these things requires us to think through a problem. And instead we end up swallowing hopium. We end up, let's get in the streets, man. We don't, we don't need no stinking plan. And ultimately, ultimately, people are running around with their hair on fire with no analytical framework, no understanding, no understanding whatsoever. And they talk about taxing the rich or they talk about, you know, ending, uh, you know, the empire <laughs> or they talk about the end of the dollar where they talk about, we need a socialist revolution. And all these things sound good, but I come back to, I come back to this, and I want you to see what I'm saying, because I, I mocked it previously, but now I'm going to go through it differently, right? What if we go back here and we say, we really fundamentally work through this. Let's read what they say. Problem identification. A problem can be identified in a wide range of ways, including reports from employees, data gathering, et cetera. Well, bottom line is, is that we collectively need to understand the problem we're facing, and we need to agree on what the problem is we're solving. If you're trying to solve unemployment, a job guarantee, if you're trying to give people extra money, raise the minimum wage. If you're trying to make sure retirees have more money, raise the cost of living for Social Security. If you're trying to ensure the, the poor eat, make food a right. If you're trying to make sure they have shelter, give them shelter. If you're trying to ensure they have health care, give them health care. Okay? Problem identification. Situational assessment. What the hell? Making a formal assessment of the situation is the next step. This can be done by reviewing documentation, holding focus groups, interviewing survey. All this stuff sounds like business speak, right? 
all of this sounds like business speak. But the problem is, is that as people, we are having to organize. That is organizing. You understand? It's not mobilizing, going out in the street and yelling and screaming and whatever. It's organizing. That's organizing. Okay? So I see a lot of stuff in the chat, folks. I know you want me to change my live stream and do a different live stream for you, but I'm going to have to stick with the live stream I'm doing because that's what I've prepared for, okay? I'm so sorry about that, but I'm going to stick with the live stream I've chosen here. So anyway, in the end, when we're looking at us as a movement, us as a people, us as voters, us as citizens making a difference, You've got to understand that all those focus groups, all those big think tanks, all those lobbying groups, all those technocrats that advise and serve the corporate lords, all those folks use systems like what I'm showing you here. All of them do. All of them are prepared to kick our ass 24 by 7 to the point where they don't even really think about us because they know we're deaf, dumb, and stupid and born to follow. We kn they know we're looking for a hero. They know that's why we're, I'm Team Marianne, and I'm Team RFK, okay? And so if you think through the problem, you understand point blank that without an analytical framework to put this together and without the focus to go step by step by step through it, we're competing with a juggernaut. We're competing with the most sophisticated, well-financed group of people ever amassed in human civilization history, period, ever. They've got the best tools. They've got the most incredibly well put together networks, computer networks, financing. Okay. We, on the other hand, we've got people that think that trolling on Twitter and calling people and shut up, you old white fucker. We think that amounts to activism. We think that amounts to something useful. Okay. The problem is, is that there's always some kid in the back row, some dog that has got its tail wagging, its leg thumping, okay, that wants to just jump out there and do something. And they're the loudest one. And they stand up on the table and they castigate anybody that wants to plan. And then all of a sudden, the cool kids say, yeah, all this planning stuff, man. If I wanted to go to school, I would have gone to school. Fuck it. Let's go take to the streets. And then you got January 6th. I want you to assess that January 6th for a minute. Forget all the propaganda about it being an insurrection and all the other shit that goes with it. But just think for a minute. What were they trying to achieve? Did they achieve it? My answer to that is I have no idea what they thought they were going to achieve. Maybe they were going to stop the election. Maybe they were going to try to keep Donald Trump. At, who knows? None of it worked. Not a bit of it worked. And they had huge numbers. Because it was a pop-up action. It was an action of desperation, not one of planning, not one of thoughtfulness, not one of thorough thinking through how to achieve whatever goal they were striving for. And so, you know, I had to understand that just because I understood economics, I had a big blind spot. I didn't understand power. I didn't understand class. I didn't have a class analysis, okay? I didn't understand any of this stuff. So I oftentimes would ascribe well-meaning to politicians that are there to serve 
the oligarchs. I would literally ascribe good intent to candidate A, whereas I had ill intent for candidate B, not realizing in the end, this stuff always ends up serving the same masters. Because otherwise, we would already have college for free for every student that wanted to go. We would have trade school free. Wouldn't even be a thought. All the lies about how the economic system worked, they'd all be gone. We'd all know. We'd all be participating in understanding how it works. Okay? We would have the ability to do an awful lot of things. But alas, everything they do is against us, but they do it with a smile so we convince ourselves that they're there for us. And, you know, I oftentimes think, you know, one of the big concerns people often have with socialism, as an example, is that past implementations have come as a result of a revolution. Got to put the analytical framework back on. What happens in a revolution? We already know a revolution is typically followed up with a counter-revolution. Okay? God, my nose is itching like crazy, folks. My allergies. <laughs> but with a counter-revolution, that means you're always looking over your shoulder for the, for the next group of people to try and take back the wins you think you gained. So each of these socialist groups ends up looking very authoritarian because they've got to defend the gains and then all kinds of corruption occurs because that's what human nature does without the proper stops and measures put in. So if you don't have a framework for analyzing these things, your thoughts are that authoritarianism is simply socialism or your thoughts are dictatorship is simply communism. Totalitarianism is communism. That's what Orwell came up with. That's how he ended up coming down. And so people who read folks like Ayn Rand immediately come up with this idea of, oh my God, the horror. I, I have come to believe that without a full understanding of power, and a full understanding of motive and what the drivers are without at least a framework for analyzing that. We end up coming up with the wrong answers almost every single time. Now, you can layer in history. You can layer in philosophy. You can layer in all kinds of stuff. But ultimately, you need to have an ability to take prior knowledge, things you know, or be able to contrast things you think you know with reality. You know, talking, for example, with Republicans, they frequently will come back and say they want small and limited government. Why do they want small and limited government? Many of them say they want the same things we want when you hear them talk one-on-one. But see, they've seen the abuses of government the way it is, and they assume that's the way it must be. And as a result of that, everything is about crushing the state, making it private, giving it to the public, because they see government as the oppressor. And maybe it is right now. Maybe it really is the oppressor. Maybe it is serving that global cabal, that global elite, that corporate elite. Maybe it is. So you can certainly understand their concerns. So if you go back to that model, I'm not going to pull it up on the screen, but if you look back at it, you got to analyze the situation. You've got to think it through. And I find myself frequently re-examining things I think I know in light of new information, in light of different information that's given to me. And so a friend of mine sent me a bunch of messages. He has this tendency in the middle of the night, I wake up in the morning to a wall of text messages because he's, he's just been thinking stream of thought. 
And he says, how would you design society versus what it is right now? How would you design society? And I say, well, you know, I don't know how I would because I'm not smart enough to tell how everything should be. But from a framework perspective, I I come from a project management background where we solve problems and we come up with solutions and we implement them all the time. It's literally the job. So I said, you know, there are more egalitarian project management styles such as Scrum, which is what I've tried to institute to very, very limited success within my own organization, Real Progressives. People busy jumping ahead. They don't like the process. They get bored, whatever, because they don't fundamentally understand that just jumping and doing things is a fool's errand. Okay. But without the analytical framework, they have nothing to base it on, nothing to gauge it on. And you can see that from a lot of these pop-up actions. People do a, hey, we're going to go bring awareness to XYZ. And they go out and they do something and it's gone. Just as quickly as you put it up there, it's gone. Nothing changed. There was no demands. There was no follow-through. There was no nothing. There was nothing. Nothing whatsoever. So the people could never, ever agree to what the problem even was. The people cannot agree to how to proceed to deal with the solution. And worse, groups that are incapable of thinking in a certain way get together. And you can see this with people that jumped and skipped ahead. They, they didn't learn the economics. So they decided they would go ahead and start focusing on public banks. But they didn't understand that the existing banks are already public banks. The problem is they've been deregulated. They've been allowed to be something they were never intended to be. And as a result of that, you've unleashed a beast on society. They are all public banks with a public charter given from the federal government that's supposed to be we the people. So the analytical framework should have said, hey, if those banks are given a public charter to live and operate. They should be serving their mandate. They should be serving their purpose, but they're not. So you start there. And if you can't regulate the existing, but you're going to create new, you have created a new Leviathan and you still haven't figured out the problem with the old. You still haven't understood fundamentally that the government is superior to the banks. You think the banks are superior to the government and therefore it is so. So fundamentally, there you go. Because people think about money as being the thing they need, they get enraptured with a UBI. Why is that? Because they don't fundamentally understand economics. They think, well, shit, if I give a poor person money, of course it'll do great for them. But what does that poor person need with their $1,000 in hand? What do you think that poor person needs? That poor person needs their teeth fixed. That poor person needs shelter. That poor person needs food. And what happens when the capitalists Let's just do a little analytical bullshit here and look back at the pandemic. What happened when they saw us printing money? It wasn't printing money, fools, but let's just say printing money for the for the, the slower ones, okay? What did they do? It signaled to industry immediately. There's more money in the pie. Let's go get it, baby. They upped their ROI. They upped their prices. Look at Isabella Weber Weber, and her work showing greedflation is a thing, okay? But if industry knows that people are getting $1,000 each, industry knows that there's a pool of money that they got to go after. That's part one. And so prices will rise, not because 
spending money or printing money creates inflation. It's because these rich fucks, these businesses are going to get theirs. That's how they're going to build their business. They're going to go after that slush. That's what they do. That's I'm telling I have an MBA folks. If you think I don't know what they do in the business world, think again, I'm telling you from an MBA perspective, this is what they do. Okay. Prices don't always rise accordingly though. As you saw with people with 900% profit, 900% growth during the pandemic while claiming that they had to raise prices because costs went up, but somehow or another 900% profit. That's a pretty sweet deal. Get it every day, twice on Sunday, right? So with that in mind, you say to yourself, I know what they need. Because if I raise the cost of healthcare to $1,005, your $1,000 doesn't get that poor person jack shit, right? So what does that poor person need? They need the real resources. So when you design a program, do you just give somebody cash and say, go be all you can be? Or do you give them the real goods and services that they need? And if you understand the economics, you understand that the federal government as the currency issuer and thus the payer of those bills can pay for anything available in U.S. dollars. So the cost would be absorbed by the federal government, not the individual. Okay, This is the disconnect, once again, of not having a good assessment up front of what the person really needs. The person needs housing. They need clothing. They need food. They need childcare. Here's your thousand bucks. And let me tell you something. There's a libertarian contingent out there that has been praying to God. Lefties are stupid enough to go for the UBI because they want to repeal any social safety net whatsoever. The entire social fabric, the entirety of the new deal. They would love to get rid of every bit of it every bit of it, but that's part of that situational awareness, that, that problem identification. Unfortunately, this shit should not be college boy material only. This should be organizing 101. Rank and file voters should be thinking this way instead of just running off hair on fire, flapping about. I don't care about your feelings per se. What I care about is if you understand in the inner city, for example, there are people literally licking their lips, shops waiting to gentrify impoverished areas, traditionally with black and brown people in it. And people say, oh, don't talk about woke. But here's the problem. When you understand the business model, these people are being priced out of their lifetime homes and they do all kinds of tactics to do it. But if you don't recognize that, you're likely to be a Republican and just say, well, it's business, baby. Fuck it, man. We're all in it together. No, we're not all in it together. They're going after these areas for a reason. They know those people have no voice and they know they have no advocate and they know that they can just do what they need to do. But you got to have an assessment. You got to have an analysis of that. If you want to call that woke, if you want to call being intelligent woke, okay. But if you don't understand that, you're probably not in a position to talk about it, right? Right? So unfortunately, as with everything, the establishment co-ops terms like progressive or co-ops terms like woke or co-ops terms that we know to be different that started with a different thing. And so we end up biting onto this modern version, the bastardization of words instead of their root and understanding where they came from. And that's pretty shameful. There's no excuse for that, but we do it all the time. And so there's no way to build the plan for the future if you don't consider the very real differences and the very real problems as we try to move forward. This is called intersectionality. You've got to have that intersectional awareness to have your class-based analysis, okay? Because you can't build a large, broad coalition with people if, like they did during the New Deal, you eliminate indigenous black and brown people, 
Japanese interns, you name it, internments, all that stuff. All those things are real things that have to be accounted for. Okay. And we end up avoiding them because we don't want to get dirty. We, we just, we like simple. We like to make it simple, but it is simple if you think it through. Now, making it happen, that may be harder. But without having real, honest to God, an analytical framework, not a, I don't like that. It, I don't, it doesn't feel good. I don't like the way that sounds. If you're not really thinking through the problems, we're not creating solutions. Okay? And so when you think about why the Democrats always fucking suck with their solutions, it's because they always use means testing. They always put artificial barriers for including everyone. They always go into this whataboutism. Okay? And Republicans come back and say, well, why does this privilege class get X, Y, Z? They don't want anybody to have it. It's not like they're like fighting for everybody to get it. They don't want anybody to get it. But they're using your racial hatred. They're using your, uh, you know, gender hatred. They're using your own bigotry, your own xenophobia against it. And they tap into that. They tap into that. And they get you saying things that you should never say you thinking things you should never think okay and it's not just republican and democrat because there's this point the democrats do this neoliberal means testing shit because they intend to maintain the false scarcity narrative that we just can't afford to do nice things yeah i'm gonna richard brings up this is great i want to bring this up here uh, means testing and miles of red tape attrition through bureaucracy exactly by allowing people to fall away because it's just too much work to get through the system. People end up folding. They make sure that it's brutal to get food stamps, brutal to get unemployment, brutal. So when we talk about something like a federal job guarantee, right? People get into whataboutism immediately. They start moralizing. Well, wouldn't that be make work? They start superimposing shit that they don't know anything about. They start superimposing beliefs as opposed to facts. Beliefs tend to be stupid. They tend to not really have any, I mean, sometimes they do, but facts are so much more important. Okay. And so when you think about what I can do if I have a full-time equivalent job through the federal job guarantee program that we haven't created yet, but let's just say that sets me up for full-time benefits based on a, I don't know, 32-hour work week, four-eighths, okay? Or maybe it sets it up for 24-hour work week, or maybe it's a 40-hour work week. Maybe all I'm doing as a person in a wheelchair that is quote-unquote disabled and I'd be able to sit there in front of a computer and talk to people, some child, read them stories. Maybe I'm able to play chess with someone in a retirement home or an old age home or an elderly care facility. Each of these things could be compensated under a job guarantee. But what can't be done? Walmart can't suddenly swoop in and subsidize a bad wage with your time because your time is already committed. See, this is how you prevent the predation from the big corporations on the little people, subsidizing shit wages and pushing us to gig work. But you got to be thinking to get there. You can't be full of beliefs and emotionalism. You got to think it through. You got to have an analysis, okay? And so when people say, well, what if somebody wants to be an artist? Well, the job guarantee program that you design, if you're thinking through those steps that I laid out there, would take a problem assessment and say, hey, we want to make sure that people that are doing art and playing music or whatever 
are able to receive this kind of money for their craft. And maybe as part of that, they teach children at the local rec center guitar lessons X number of days a week. Or maybe they uh, teach painting classes X number of days a week in addition. You see, my point is, is that people don't even know what the fuck they're talking about. And they're already saying, no, 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 I want a UBI. Why? Is it because they're good people, bad people? No, it's because they're people that take shortcuts. The people that don't think through the problem, okay? They don't understand that the federal government uses unemployment as a means of controlling inflation. They don't understand that the federal government uses unemployment as a means to control the working class. And if you have just money sitting there, they don't understand that the business community, which is proven time and again, will gouge the living fuck out of you intentionally. Your UBI will be sucked up like a sponge without some countervailing force. And this is what the job guarantee does. It sets a nominal price anchor, meaning that they can't spend more than that because this is what the de facto minimum is. But you got to think through that whole problem to get there. And unfortunately, people are just ready to stand up on the table, put a mask on, fist in the air, and go, yeah, right? And they're going to have some people that think that's the beast mode, and they're going to build YouTube channels going, yeah, stuff like that. They're not going to think through the problems. It sucks. It really, 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 really sucks. Okay? And so you have to ask yourself again, what kind of society do we want? And do we have the power to affect that? And if not, what do we need to do to get there? And if your job is a recursive phone bank, donate, run the primaries, whine and complain, say Dem exit, go back to re-entering and go back to doing it the next primary and do it again and again and again and never, ever, ever stop the merry-go-round and say, we've got to organize outside of the duopoly. we got to organize outside of the electoral process because otherwise someone else is controlling the agenda. Someone else is going to Take, co-opt, roll and fold and suffocate and kill populist movements. Why do they know that? Because they're busy doing that stuff in think tanks. They're busy working through those things in high-end groups. And now with AI available, they're coming up with narratives. You want to try it? Go to ChatGPT sometime and say, write me a narrative that explains X, Y, Z. It will give it to you. It'll give it to you right there. The ability to think through and organize and build is a very, very good skill to have. It's a necessary skill to have. It's a necessary skill that can be taught, but you've got to recognize the importance of it. If you continue to act like, oh, I'm just going to do this thing. I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to plan. I'm not going to make sure I've got my blind spots covered. I'm just going to do something. And then when it fails, I'm going to get very depressed. I'm going to need self-care for a couple years because after all, I got a boo-boo, a wound to my heart for this idea I had that didn't work. I'm wounded, right? Wash, rinse, repeat. And you notice more and more people are checking out of the electoral system. More and more people are becoming independents. More and more people are not paying attention because it's political theater. So, but who's organizing all those millions of people that have given up on the system? Who's organizing them to build parallel systems? Who's organizing with them to take those thoughts and dreams and concerns and turn them into something manageable. Imagine coming to the ruling class with one giant fist. You don't even need violence if you bring the shit to them. 
just the sheer volume and the competence of having plans and having demands and being able to demonstrate and activate on them. That strikes fear because everything they do is based on making you stupid, making you uneducated. Look at how they're dumbing down the schools. Gentleman came to my house yesterday to work through some legal documents. He's just a notary. And I don't know why he felt like he could just talk to me about anything he wanted, but it was quite clear that he was not only a religious dude, but he was a right winger. And the things that he just thought were perfectly appropriate to talk to me about blew me away. I, I just listened. I didn't, I didn't feel the need to go down scoldy lane. But every time he asked me a question, I would answer it in the way that I felt it needed to be answered. And he would go. There's an entire group of people out there so completely disconnected from reality. And it's not Democrat. It's not Republican. It's huge amounts of American citizens that have been completely propagandized. Okay, completely propagandized. And so we have to decolonize our minds. We have to shed false beliefs. We have to develop an analytical framework to deal with this stuff, to find a path to talk to people like this guy that came into my home. I gave him a few things to think about, but I knew it was going to be a single serving interaction. So I just keep thinking to myself, what will it take? to organize the working class in a meaningful way where there's not huge levels of hierarchy and there's not huge levels of oppression. And yet at the same time, incompetence doesn't reign supreme. This is the challenge because we're not all created equal. We're not all dealing with a smart brain. We're not all dealing with the ability to think through problems. And unfortunately, sometimes the people that are least capable of thinking through problems happen to be the loudest, biggest bullies, whatever. And they come in and they thrash about. Oh, I love this statement right here. Yes, this is exactly right. Brandon, thank you for bringing us a little behind, but I heard Mosler say we should tell banks what they can be allowed to do and not worry about what they can't doing the latter. They assume it's allowed because it doesn't say not to do it. The fact of the matter is, is that banks, this is what you can do. Make banking boring again is another thing that Mosler has said. But ultimately, in the end, if we as a collective are ever going to move forward, it doesn't matter if we all agree because none of us could implement any of our ideas without the others, folks. I could absolutely despise group A and I could really loathe group B. But collectively, as group C, the working class, we've got to find solutions for ourselves. And, you know, this is a great point, Dre says the wealth gap needs to be addressed before any progress can be made. And the problem with that, of course, is to do that, you need power. To have power, you also need to know how to do what he just said, she said, it said, we said, they said, it. we all say, right? I don't know how. This is, I don't know how to get people to put their ego down and do that. Okay. I mean, I supported somebody on Twitter the other day. I'm not even going to give them the airtime to say who, but I supported somebody on Twitter the other day. And rather than take what I was saying and support, them and the minions came flying in the door to castigate me as if I was taking shots at them, called an old white motherfucker. Weak-ass old white motherfucker. Okay? Whatever. It's a shame, but whatever. But this is how it works. People go off half-cock. When we try to tell the state-by-staters, hey, listen, 
It's not going to work finance-wise, economics-wise. There's no path to what you're trying to do here. Their answer was, you couldn't possibly know that. Instead of working with us to let us show and demonstrate what we were talking about, the answer was, you couldn't possibly know that. Okay. So we've got a lot of work to do. And I don't know how to do that, to be perfectly fair. I really don't. But I do know that without an analytical framework, nothing that we want can be achieved. Nothing. And you're going to continue to wonder why money's going to Ukraine or the military-industrial complex. You're going to continue wondering why your life is getting harder. You're going to continue to wonder why we have no power, no agency. And until we do take that choice, make that choice, that we as a working class will unite together and find solutions to these problems, no matter how distasteful the people you don't like are, we don't stand a prayer. And that's the fact, Jack. So hopefully this live stream was of some value. I, it just was one of those things that was in my brain that I couldn't quite shake. I'm not sure if I did the subject justice. Leave me a, leave me a comment, man. Let me know. Did I, did I hit the mark? Do you have other questions? Maybe we can pick it up on another live stream. Fact of the matter is, is that without an analytical framework that we can never address the root problems. And until we go through those processes of problem identification and really assessing the situation, situational awareness, until we do that, we don't have a leg to stand on at all. And that's why I like MMT. MMT gives me a framework. It gives me the ability to understand the monetary system. Then when I add a class consciousness layer to that, it helps me understand why the money is going where it's going. And then when I look at a power dynamic and I look at the electoral system, it helps me understand how that's working. And I can stack this stuff up and I can come up with ideas, but I've layered it. I understand the framework in which I'm working. Most people just random thoughts shooting all over the place can't stay focused. Ah, well, you should talk about this. Oh, I'll talk about that. And it's like, no, I'm sorry, folks. I'm staying focused. I'm on point. I'm right here. Like a metronome. To some people's chagrin, I stay on point. I try to. And uh, Anyway, with that, I am Steve Grumbine. I am the Rogue Scholar. And folks, go to our merch department, man. I, I, you got a little Rogue Scholar action here. I love the shirt. Austerity is murder. I'm eating my own dog food, wearing my own merch. Check it out. And so with that, I am Steve Grumbine. I am the Rogue Scholar, and I am out here. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support our efforts, please take a moment to subscribe and check out our other work on the Real Progress in Action YouTube channel and visit our sister organization's website at realprogressives.org. 